0: Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss Podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us
1: each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover
0: new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey guys, it's Johnny and welcome to episode 41 of the Invest Like a Boss Podcast. I'm here with Sam Marks.
1: Hey Johnny, man, I had something really great in store for you, but it got wiped off today. I had rented your favorite car. I'm in Beverly Hills, and I wanted to surprise you and try to convince you to come hang out with me. But I showed up, and I didn't have insurance, so they canceled it. So, so.
0: <laughs> first off, you know I'm in Thailand, and there's, even if you had a Ferrari and a place in Beverly Hills, there's no way I can get there. So I guess in spirit, thank you. <laughs> well, I thought I might convince
1: you to come hang out for a bit. It's been too long, man. We got to get back together.
0: Yeah, we definitely will. But I do think it's cool that this week you're back in California and you're going to be doing another in-person interview. And this week it's going to be with Brew Johnson, the CEO of Pier Street. Dude, I'm
1: super pumped. I mean, this company's got a lot of wind behind its sails. We're both investors, not in the company, but through the platform. So they got a lot of new news out there. And I'm just dying to know what is it like to have a VC backer like Andrew Sin Horowitz?
0: Yeah, so we're both customers of Pier Street and we right. had them on early on in the Invest Like a Boss podcast series. It was uh, episode 13. If you guys have not Mm -hmm. heard that yet, please go back, pause this, go back, listen to episode 13. It was called Pure Street versus Lending Club. And in that episode, we talked about an alternative to a platform that both of us kind of regret putting our money in because it's uh, non-secure, non-backed peer-to-peer lending. And Mm -hmm. at the time- that was our best option, so we both were excited. We both put, you know, a decent amount of money in Lending Club, and when we found out about Pier Street, we, we thought, why, why didn't we know about this sooner? And th- that's why we were so excited to share this with all of you guys.
1: Yeah, and it was it's, it was a great investment for us in 2016. We'll see how it does in 2017. But, you know, their office is I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, John. You should be. You're a California guy. They're downtown Manhattan Beach. Uh, my sister used to live in Hermosa Beach, really cool area. I'm in Beverly Hills right now, which is a little bit further north, but I'm stoked to get down there and, and check out their office and see what it's all about.
0: Yeah, that whole area is cool. It's It's right, I think it's a bit south of Venice Beach, but that mm-hmm. whole drive... It's beautiful, and I'm actually very curious uh, why they chose that area uh, versus financial capitals like New York uh, or other places that you kind of expect them to be, maybe even, I mean, not maybe not London because it's an American company, but yeah, like wh- why would they be there instead of New York? So let's uh, get to the episode because I'm excited to have the CEO of this awesome company on, and afterwards, let's sit down and break down exactly what, Our investments have done personally with Peer Street and what we want to do in the future.
1: I like it. Let's take it in and hear what Brew has to say. Guys, welcome back. I'm sitting across the table from Brew Johnson, the co-founder and CEO of Peer Street. Brew, welcome to the show and thanks for letting me come over to your office and crash your Friday afternoon.
2: Oh, thanks, man. It's, uh, It's great to have you. This is, this is, uh, we normally do these things by phone, besides having somebody actually face to face. Brew Johnson, what a cool name. Is that actually your name?
1: How did you Uh, get the name
2: Brew? Yeah, you know, it's funny. The, uh, well, it's short for Brewster, which is, uh, kind of a a family name is, is Brew, but I've gone by Brew my whole life. And when I was, uh, when I was a lawyer back in a previous life, that was funny. You'd be be on a bunch of conference calls where you'd be talking to somebody and, uh, you tell immediately when on the conference call somebody understood that it's probably a family name or, But half the people assumed it was a family name, but the other half assumed that I was just holding on like a college nickname. (laughs) So you could early on, I I could tell how I'd have to kind of dictate how I'd I'd act on the conference call, try to clean up a little bit, or be a little more casual. But yeah, it's a family name. Family name.
1: (laughs) Oh, dude, it's been a long time since I had office envy. And walking down here, Manhattan Beach, you guys are about a hundred yards from the pier. I got sunburn on the walk down. This is probably the coolest place to have an office in the entire world, in my opinion. How long, like, tell us about this office. Have you, how long have you been here? I think you guys founded the company here.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've, so the, uh, we founded the company here and really we put the, we put the office here because I lived here in, in Manhattan beach. And um yeah, I mean, for people out there listening that haven't been in Manhattan beach, it's a, the classic Southern California beach town, Uh one of, but it's part of LA. So it's this kind of it's got this interesting vibe where it's removed from l a but it's also very very uh, part of l a so um yeah, I mean I love it I love it i I love living here. I want to put the office here because I want to be close to home. Uh, it just turns out that Manhattan Beach has a lot of conveniences. there's a lot of fa- fantastic people in the area that are also that also are are, are are it makes hiring great. We bring in great great people from finance and tech and law so but uh, I agree with you, I think it's probably where our current office is probably probably one of the best locations for any office you could you could ever find so
1: these locations like Manhattan beach. The LA beaches in general, San Diego. I think if people had the opportunity, they would. Everyone would move here, right? Like it's it's definitely regarded as one of the best places in the world to live. There's just the opportunities, and now with like these tech booms everywhere, tech booms in you know the LA beaches and San Diego, they're harder to come by. Job opportunities are harder to come by, but companies like yours are are here for you know a reason. You got smart co-founders here. You don't want to move to maybe San Francisco or New York, you want to keep your lifestyle here. And now there's a lot of opportunities for smart people. I know you guys have been hiring like crazy to come here and work for an awesome company and also, you know, live in an awesome area.
2: Yeah. You know, it's funny when, when Brett, so, so just kind of a little bit of the founding story. So I had this, I've had this idea for a very, very long time. In fact, like I worked up a very similar business model to this back in 08. Um, and at the time I was in, You know, I was, I was one, I was very early. I used to be a real estate attorney back in a previous life and represented, you know, large banks, home builders, stuff like that. So pre crisis, I identified very early that the crisis was going to unfold. So, and then I got in the tech world in 0- 06 and kind of having that real estate and legal background, being very convinced the financial crisis was going to unfold and then getting the tech world. Um, back in 08, I worked with this business model because I was convinced that banks were going to go out of business or going to go away. And I thought like being able to fill the void using a you know, uh, online marketplace of being able to get people loans just made sense. Um, I mean, long story short, the timing was not right back then. There was, I mean, regulatory burdens. There's a lot of things that were going on. So, you know, a lot of things happened in between, but in 2013 when, when I was resurrected the idea, because I thought the timing was perfect, I reached out to Brett, uh, one of my co-founders, and Brett at the time was at Google. You know, he'd spent 10 years at Google. He was up in the Bay Area. And we, we worked up the idea. Brett ar- originally invested in the business as an angel, and then, um, and then I convinced him to come on as a co-founder, but, we were talking about like, Hey, where should we base this, this company? He lived up in the, in the Bay Area in Hillsborough, which is a great town. And obviously the Bay Area has more tech talent than anywhere in the world. It still does. It will probably always will. Um, but when you're we talking about the pros and cons of, Hey, like, okay, well, should we do this up north? Or should we do it, do it down south? I mean, obviously I was biased because my kids were in school here and I love the community. And so it's literally probably one of the top. The only place in the world I probably could live is Manhattan Beach. I love it. Um, but I told Brett, I said, look at wherever this business would make the most sense, we need to do it because I think the, you know, I think the business we're going to build is like too important to, to not like sacrifice where I want to live to go do it. But when you weigh the pros and cons, I mean, Southern California is actually the heart of the mortgage industry, right? Like there's like, there's actually, it's a heart of the private lending and hard money lending industry, which is kind of the base for our, for our business. So. The tech aspect of it was clearly the Bay Area is the right place to be. But when you factor in all the other things of private equity, we're the largest buyers of, I mean, Pimco, Double Line, um, Whamco are these large buyers of mortgage debt. They're all here in Southern California. The mortgage industry is here in general. So there's actually real strategic reasons to have it in LA, which was lucky for me because I wanted to stay in Manhattan Beach. And then, you know, things have happened over the last few years that make LA. I mean, way more desirable for, I mean, well, you know, like the weather, everything is great about it. But, you know, the tech scene in L.A. has just changed dramatically over the past three, three years. And, I mean, there's a lot of things driving it. But I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that Snapchat, you know, didn't sell and decided to stay here. Um, oh, yeah. No, I didn't know that. oh, yeah. I mean, you know, a few years ago, I mean, very early on, like a year, I mean, very soon into the thing, you know, Evan turned down this opportunity to sell Snapchat for billions of dollars when it was just kind of an idea and growing fast and it was one of the few most you know historically when tech companies were in LA started growing they normally got acquired by somebody in Silicon Valley before they kind of got to scale and could be transformative he turned down that offer and at the time people thought he was crazy I think it was a three billion dollar offer a five billion dollar offer and um and by doing that and staying in LA it's really changed things and so you know I mean clearly Snapchat's got this amazing thing going you know they're do you have any idea what their valuation is now? Well, I've, got, I've heard whispers about like what they're <laughs> what they're planning. I think it's I think people are saying it's going to be a thirty billion dollar IPO, but I, I could have I could have Jeez. I could have missed that. Maybe it's twenty billion. But I mean, just like for the the LA tech scene, having this like you know this could be the future Facebook, you know. Yeah. So what that can do, how transformative that could be for like a the the ecosystem around it is big. And Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, look at like I I was at a the g- general counsel for Facebook or for excuse me, the general counsel for uh, Snapchat, the neighbor. He lives here in Manhattan Beach great guy um you know at a birthday party with him for the kids last week uh, actually and uh my my niece's birthday party and um I didn't realize, but in the last year, they've gone from 600 to about 2,500 people in in one year in West LA. Damn. Yeah. In a year. And so, you know, that's typical for like a very fast growing company, but you think of that, what that does and like all the side effects that it has for the, for the ecosystem. It's great. So LA's look at LA's definitely attracting like more and more great talent. Um, I think look at my next door neighbor here is. Peter Pham, who's, you know, one of the founders of science. He's an ex Silicon Valley guy. I mean, Chris Saka lives, lives here. There's a lot of people that have moved down from the Bay area here. And what, what Pham tells everybody is like, oh my gosh, we live in an environment now where you don't have to be in the Bay area. The lifestyle here is so much better. Plus now you're attracting like talent things. Yeah. Just, and you're an hour you know, flight to the Bay area, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, we're, up, we're still up there all the time. It's a cheap flight. Hop it up. And if mean, but...
1: Elon Musk builds his uh, super tube, it'll be a th- <laughs>
2: 30 minute tube ride, right? Uh, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's great to see. I mean, great to see. Like it's funny, you you know. Elon, I mean, SpaceX is here. You know. Oh, I forgot about that. SpaceX is right around the corner in Hawthorne. Forgetting about these things. Both Hyperloop kind of big startups are here in LA. In fact, I saw Elon. He he uh, he tweeted out that they're doing a test. They're doing a test of like some loop at the at the SpaceX headquarters of the Hyperloop. Oh man! So all those guys are here. So
1: they actually are operating on the ground level here oh yeah I mean, I've, I've read in, like newspapers that they're gonna like start a little test loop here but i didn't know yeah, that I mean, anything was actually happening Yeah, you
2: know, there's these two com- I, mean, I don't know too much about the hyperloop there's two of these competing hyperloop startups are sort of the main ones and uh, they're both here in la but uh yeah i mean spacex is a great example i mean spacex when you know i remember when a friend of mine was one of the first rocket scientists at at, at spacex when they were back in the day and this is before elon musk became Elon Musk said he is now, and I, and I met her, you know, she's a Caltech grad. There's obviously a great aerospace industry here. And, um, back in the day, she's like, yeah, you know, the, one of the founders of PayPal is like, he wants to create this rocket business. <laughs> and at that time, and it was like insane to me. And like, we went over to the office at the, t- at the time, which are right around the corner. And, um, and, um, you know, it was like people in this basically like tiny little, tiny little, industrial space working on SpaceX. That was, Eight years ago, now SpaceX is SpaceX. It's amazing. And so it's developed this whole ecosystem that that has now spun off Hyperloop and other things. So I just think what's happening there with a lot of fronts with that. And now Snapchat's kind of growing up here. What we're doing, I think is, you know, we obviously are biased, but we think we're, we're going to transform the mortgage industry and we're doing it here. I think think the LA scene is really growing. And when you factor in the lifestyle, I think it's pretty attractive to a lot of people.
1: Man. So last time we had Brett on, it was episode 13. I was in Singapore. Brett was here in Manhattan. I think you were in Denmark. Is that right? Uh, I think I was at the
2: time. Yeah. Is that a family getaway? Yeah. Fam- yeah. Fam- my wife's Danish. So we, uh, we, we, uh, spend, uh, a couple of weeks. Well, my wife tries to go for as much of the summer as possible. I to go for a week or two every summer and then every other Christmas we spend over there. So I think it was our summer trip this year. We were, we were over there. Which, which and city then, is I in? Well, uh, basically Copenhagen. I mean, my, my wife's family has a summer, what they call a summer house about an hour north of, uh, of Copenhagen in a little town called Gilly which is this yeah. great Scandinavian fishing village. And, um, yes, we spent a lot of time over there. Cool.
1: So last time we talked about a lot of just peer to peer lending stuff. It was a really good episode. You know, like peer to peer lending is on everybody's mind right now, especially a lot of new investors. It's kind of a new category, even though it's been around for a while. It's, it's really just emerging. And I know you guys have a lot of new news now, but I'm kind of curious. Like you've been part of so many founding companies in the past, so many, so many different businesses in the past. How does peer streets founding and kind of growth compared to some of the other businesses that you've done in the past, different spot, different investors, different people, different growth, different category, right? How's this whole thing kind of unfolded for you, uh, compared to some previous endeavors?
2: Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, this is just fundamentally, it's so different than almost any other company I've been involved in at any level. And, um, I mean, what I tell people. Well, I mean, you you know very well, like, I mean, doing a startup is like, it's exhilarating. It's incredibly hard. There's like these like super highs and super lows. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so, you know, I, you know, I've been involved with companies that have not taken off, companies that have done well, you know, you just know how it goes. Now, the thing that's like very difficult about this mm-hmm. um, is that you kind of have every challenge that a, a typical tech company has Then we effectively, I mean, it's just so your listeners, I mean. We're a marketplace for investing in real estate loans, an alternative lending platform for real estate debt. Uh, and the idea is like, you know, we want to, we think real estate debt is one of the best asset classes out there. Nobody's really had access to it before directly. So we're trying to open that up to people. Um, but so you have a real estate lending involved. You have, you have a typical tech platform that you're building and you have this huge regulatory legal overlay. So really it's almost like a startup that is everything a typical tech startup has a real estate company, a lending cl- company, and credit company, and then a-, a law firm and this like regular. So it's just putting all the pieces together. I mean, I knew it would be very, very difficult, um, but it's, there's just challenges that are like, they're amazing. So you need to just, because of the, and all the different disciplines are so distinct across the diff- the whole stack. I mean, you just need to hire outstanding people across all these things. We've been lucky to do that, but um, you know, it's, it's, We just feel like we're doing something that is like way harder than almost any startup I can imagine because of these different disciplines. Um, but we think because it's so hard, nobody's ever really been able to bigger barrier to entry and all that. Exactly. So we think we're creating something that is, you know, defensible. We think it's important. We think like the problems that we're solving is like, is like huge. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, it's, 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 you know, there's all this stuff. Any startup you do, it doesn't matter if you're opening up a dry cleaner or a tech company you know, there's all this, the challenges that everybody faces, right? This one is just like, I just feel the way all the different pieces are tied together across these things. It, it makes it a little more difficult and complex. Um, so you, you, know, because of that, you need to bring in the right people. So, you know, I was lucky enough to have Brett and Alex, or Alex, our CTO and a third co-founder. He likes to, he likes to stay in kind of, uh, he likes to just get Grind, to, like, right, stuff yeah. out and get stuff done. <laughs> but I mean, these guys are like both like amazingly talented. Um, and then, but they, they also like fill the gaps that we that I have, which are major gaps in my my kind of, and and what I do, and then you know, I mean, our general counsel Sarah Prayola is like insanely talented, so she's just taking on a huge thing. Our chief that's pro- got to be a huge part of the business, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's massive. It's massive, and like it's 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 amazing. You know, you hear like these like successful founding stories of companies that take off and make it, and like you know, you get these like group of people together, and it feels like lightning in a bottle almost. And we, t- I feel like we've totally gotten that, and like. And right when like right when we need a, a role filled, it's almost like the person, the right person kind of materializes. Right. You know, it's almost like the Zen saying of like you know when the student is ready, the master will present himself kind of thing. Yeah, right. We almost nice. had nothing going. Yes. So like literally, it was like yes. I was like I told Brad, I was like, hey, we need a we need a really good general counsel that understands and all this stuff. And literally, we're at a conference, we meet Sarah, and like we hired her, and it was like it was amazing like she like lilly is the perfect person for this for this business to lead our to lead our our legal efforts our chief product officer brendan cow this kid is like the most it's like gasoline on the fire bring this guy in like perfect time he came to the company and you we just keep getting lucky with that i mean like our vp of strategy jessica uh murray is like you know she used to trade bonds at at jp morgan she came to us she came to us like to do like a corporate communications role right and now she's like grown up to do vp VP of strategy because you're just so talented. It's like, we're just a, we're like, there's just something special happening. I think very, I've never been involved in a startup that is really scaled and like, we've got that going. And it's like, it's just this great thing that keeps feeding on it, it itself. And we keep attracting more and more outstanding people. And, uh, it's great. Sorry. I think I totally got off. To, uh, no, I, listen, there, I but. think
1: you create your own luck and some of the, the dynamics that we were talking about earlier with Manhattan beach being one of the, the most desirable places to live. The tech boom that's happening around here per Snapchat and, and other companies and kind of an overflow from Silicon Valley, if you will. And I think you guys have all the, the important ingredients. I mean, I was just shocked when I walked down here to this office and was getting closer and closer to Manhattan Pier and thinking, come on, like it can't be one more block closer. It really can't be. And literally I'm like a stone throw away from the pier and I'm just like, wow, this, There might not be a better place in the world for an office. So in terms of being able to attract good people, being in California, being here and then having met a lot of of your team here. I mean, it's I mean, it's it's a it's a perfect opportunity for anyone who's got the skills and talent to come here and show their face and and try to make it happen and join this.
2: I agree. Now there is there is there's a counter there's a counter side to it that some people look at it and be like wow these guys are a block from the beach yeah, <laughs> and, right uh, well these guys are probably just surfing all day and screw, screwing around <laughs> right. and in fact Brett uh, Brett wrote like an article on LinkedIn Pulse talking about like you know choosing a co-founder and how you how you do things and one of the comments the first comment to his article was some guy saying. This is, this is the reason you don't start a, a startup in Manhattan Beach. Look how tan these guys are. They're probably surfing all day. So some, some people out there assume we're not getting anything done because we're just like hanging out by the beach. But no, I mean, like we got this thing. Like we've got this kind of like, we want to have a good lifestyle, right? And we want to like, look at, I love to get in the morning, go surf before work. If I can, I can't really do it much anymore because I'm too busy. But the idea is like work hard and play hard, be in a place where you can like, if you're going to be working almost 24 seven, like you having that ability to walk down the pier or the beach and have some fresh air is great but it's funny a lot of bankers come in you know know, these like major banks come in and be like wow how are you guys gonna be able to raise funding in this office right here by the beach it seems like way too more more casual but then when everybody when people dive in and see what we're doing they're like oh my god this is like kind of best of all worlds things guys are these guys are like have this great thing going they have this fun kind of environment in the office but they're they're like doing really really big things so uh anyways it's we love it we're attracting the right people, but there's some people that, like superficially will look at it and be like, Oh, these guys just want to hang out by the beach. But no, we're, we're doing great things.
1: Definitely so, makes sense. So you and Brett, you guys come from a technology background, which to me just doesn't even make sense. Cause when I meet you guys and I hang out with you guys, I'm like, these are just Southern California non-technical uh, dudes uh, grew up in, went to a college. We're in a fraternity. And you know, from a business perspective, it's super powerful to have kind of a business mind. And a technology mind. And that's that's a rare combination to find. And and you and Brett definitely have that. Not just one co-founder, but both co-founders. That's super powerful. Like, how did you guys even get into technology? Because I don't <laughs> meeting you guys, I would never think that technology was your
2: background. <laughs> yeah, that's uh that's yeah, a lot of people think that. It's funny. Brett Brett is, Brett especially. I mean, look at Brett founded Google Analytics, right? I mean, I mean, for, for listeners who haven't listened to his podcast, I mean, out of college, he and his brother and, uh, his brother Scott, who's an investor in our business as well, and Paul Murray, another fraternity brother of us, actually Jack Anko, they, they were the founding team of, of Urchin. They built this company and they sold it to Google, but they were like the first people to do web analytics and they turned it into Google analytics. Like what, really one of the more important kind of technology platforms Really, like Google, right? It touches These, every single uh, company that I know yeah, of. Yeah. Yeah. It's like some crazy and like, I mean, you can go in stories about like how, how like important Google Analytics is, right? Um, and then, you know, he's sitting on Google for 10 years doing all sorts of stuff. Now you meet, you met Brett. He's like this like blonde, good looking tan dude. He's a surfer. He's got this laid back demeanor on the outside. So yeah, you'd assume it's like, well, this guy's not a, a technologist. No, no, look at, it. he's not a, he's not out writing code and stuff like that. But When you've been around technology companies and like the way to think, the way to structure things, um, he just looked at things a different way. I always looked at things. So we always had this kind of respect for each other. And I just like the way he analyzed things. But I, what I also liked is like, well, he yeah, has this like total surfer kind of like, you know, right he yeah, looks the one way. exactly how he He's looks guys, today. Yeah. yeah. Super competitive, demeanor. super smart, very, very thoughtful, very deep. So, um, you know, you know, were he, you guys business
1: oriented in college? Were you like, were you already thinking in that, that demeanor and that capacity or were you just?
2: Were you just college guys? You know, we, we did a variety of different things. So, uh, yeah, I think we were always entrepreneurial. Uh, at least I was, even though I kind of went like a more traditional lawyer route. So many of the successful
1: people that we, 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 talk to are, they get, they get into things at an early age. And I really think that getting an early start is a key to success. And now there's a lot of people out there that are in their thirties, forties that haven't got that early start and they can still be successful, but it's about, it's about taking initiative and getting going. Wherever you're at in life, just getting going and taking massive action.
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. I mean, like, so, like, it's interesting. Like, your story is really fascinating. Like, before we did this, obviously, you're giving me your background. Like, you were like a hustler from like day one, right? College, hustling right out. You know, when I was at USC in college, and actually, when I was in high school, I went to this class at at USC, it was an entrepreneur class. And the guy who ran the entrepreneur program, this guy, Mac Davis, he was like a legend. His first lecture of the year in the entrepreneurship program was like, hey, look, you want to be an entrepreneur? I would recommend in your twenties, just go do whatever you want. Like if you want to surf, go move to Hawaii and surf. Go do this stuff because you're going to get these life lessons that will probably, probably like inform what you're going to do, like what you might do in like your yeah. business. Like, so it's funny. Like, and I kind of, I thought that was an interesting thing. Like I'm the type of guy like. You know, I didn't quite know what that entrepreneurial thing I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. so I didn't have like a straight. You seem to be like a guy that from day one was like, "I'm going to get out and just start hustling." Where I think, that, I don't know. I think like there's like I think people could find their different paths where it's like, look at, I know entrepreneurs that basically like, you know, traveled the world for their 20s and they came back and discovered some idea and went and, yeah. did, and did it. You know, I think the I think the main thing is there's a lot of people out there that might not know what they're going to do and want to find that path. But any way you slice it, it's like. I've always been the type of guy. From the entrepreneurial perspective, it's like, like it. Even if you don't know what the idea is out there, go explore, go experiment. Whether to experiment with your life, what business you're going to do, because you can't, you can't really like learn until you go out and try to do it. And so, like, I don't know. Uh, there's different ways to look at it, but I think, I think the key piece of all of it is whether you're going out there and hustling from day one, like you did with these different. Businesses you're working on going on kind of seeing the world or going and kind of doing what you like to kind of do. It's all, it's all experimentation, right? So you're going out there and spe- experimenting and trying to figure out what that thing is you want to do or that idea that inspires you. I think that's c- some of the most important stuff. You I know? think that's
1: great advice. So a lot of things have happened since we talked to Brett last time on episode. Man, that goes back, but things have changed with Peer Street. We've always been big fans. We're investors, John and I am ourselves. And you guys have a lot of new news and a lot of what we're talking about in the boss lounge and with our listeners is the recent growth you guys had. Yeah. And what everyone wants to know is what is the experience like working with Andrewson Horowitz, your new backers?
2: Man, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's insane. I mean, it's insane for a a few reasons. I mean, well, after we closed that round, we announced that Jay Hardman's who are, who is our head of investments and is employee number four at the company. I mean, he came up to me and he's like, "Wow, this is like so amazing. When I before I started here, I asked you, who who would you want to be your number who would be your number one investor in this company?" And I told him Andreessen Horowitz just cuz I just have like such mad respect for Mark and, you know, what they've done. And um and just the way they've kind of attacked, you know, what they do for their entrepreneurs, what well, you hear these stories. Now, this is from from the outside. You never know until you're actually involved in it. And um I mean, I got to tell you, when we went in and pitched them for like our partner meeting and Mark Andreessen sits down across from the table from you and there's 25 people in the room and you're sitting there trading ideas with Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz and all these other guys. It's like, I mean, it was insane. And Under it was the
1: microscope like, a bit. What's that? Under the microscope a bit or is oh, it more yeah, like collaborative yeah, and stuff.
2: Yeah, both. I mean, like, I mean, look at this. I mean, Mark Andreessen's an intimidating dude. You know, he comes in and sits on across the table from you and says, hey, I actually he walked in to sh- shake our hands and, and, uh. You know, some partner meetings you do, there's six or eight people in the room or four people. There was literally 25 people in the room. Oh man. (laughs) Andreessen, they have all these operating groups where like, that they use to support their company. They want, people wanted to hear about what we're doing. There's all these people in the room, which is intimidating already. And then Mark Andreessen comes in and goes to shake my hand and Brett's hand says, wow, we're really interested in what you're doing. This is, this is going to be a lot of fun. And like, it's like, wow, that's actually, it's very intimidating, (laughs) but you said (laughs) it should be a lot of fun. You're going to be drilling in. So I don't know, like the idea of like, kind of like, just answering their questions like and it's it's great because like, these guys are thinking like very very big and very very analytically so you can actually like it was to me it was like the most fun partner meeting i had because it was like such a thoughtful interesting discussion yeah, and they had prepared and they understood yeah, where your smarts, business was they, already, they understand right? a lot of these things so anyway so it was very intimidating going in there but it was great and now having them involved i mean our the partner who let who led our investment alex rampell is like uh so Alex Rampello is is the partner that led in and Angela Strange is the other partner on the deal. So Alex on our board, Angela's an a uh board advisor. Um I mean, incredibly thoughtful, incredibly helpful. I mean Andreessen has this whole kind of unlike other a lot of venture firms like invest and they have they provide you support. They literally have like provide you so much support to help you like grow and as a business and just like, you know, We we don't always need advice or support in certain things, but it's like it's nice. It's like, hey, we have an HR question. We have a hiring question. What should we look on this? Can we call them? They've a whole team there to support you and help it. I mean, it's it's been really it's been a few months, and already a few months. It's like wow. It's like it's it's incredible. So massive value add. Massive value add on on a a lot of fronts. On a lot of fronts.
1: And I guess that like their their value add is a lot on that next scale stuff. I mean, you're not calling them for little managerial question you're calling them for i need to scale the company from 50 to 100 employees etc and here's you know here's what we're working with help us figure out this problem
2: you know it's actually i mean but to be honest on the little managerial stuff it's actually both i mean so here's the thing that's unique and i you know as you're as you're deciding which venture firm you want to get involved and by the way we had i mean there's a lot of great firms out there, and we have like we we basically said no to some people that like I love and respect and would be great investors in the business, right? Um, but you know when I'm talking to Alex Rampel, I said like, hey, so you know what is it about Andreessen? He's like, well, look at here's the thing: Andreessen has X number of investment partners. I think at the time it was nine or something. There's 120 people on staff here. Um, most of that staff is like support staff for our portfolio companies. And so like, look at like for hiring, right? Like they have a team that helps you kind of like network or like to help you with hiring, help with you should approach things. I mean, like, you know, if I, if I need a, a CEO mentor or something, they've got a network of people that they help you with. So actually, you know, we actually call them and they help us with kind of, a lot of day-to-day stuff through these extended teams. So it's actually, and then they're also like these like huge, huge thinkers. So, I mean, to be honest, like I didn't realize how valuable the whole infrastructure that they have in place would be. And, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Sweet. That's really cool to hear.
1: Thanks for sharing that, that experience. Cause that's, uh, that's an experience that so many people out there would aspire to be part of, to be able to grow a business, to attract a VC and a, and a partner of such. And, you know it doesn't happen every day so being able to hear that experience is really cool
2: I mean that's all great but it's also like it's funny people always people are asking me they're like oh my god so you must be like so happy you got Andreessen involved it's like no can you like you know I pretty much have worked every weekend for the past three years of my life you know late every night you know They're like, oh, now you raised this money from Andreessen. And it's like, oh, now you're done. It's like, Jesus. No, the pressure has just actually stepped up more. So, you know, and it's great. That's, that's what we want. We want to, we want to grow this thing massively. So that's why we brought them in. But it's like, uh, and we don't want to let them down either, you know?
1: Absolutely. Well, but I think that's part of, I think that's part of bringing people that you respect on. Like you can get money from different places, but bringing people on that can help grow the business and also can inspire you. And, and almost keep you accountable in a way. I know that's a way we've looked at it in in previous business before is bringing people on that you can almost report to and are almost a parental figure. Not to say that you guys need a parental figure, but someone that has got that. Brad does. Brad does. But that level of scale that has seen things from a huge, you know, 30,000 foot view and someone that you can, you know, you can, you can give the data to and appreciate their, their feedback and their perspective and everything. And that kind of leads into the next question is like how you guys now, have the backing and the partnerships in place. How does that change like your daily operations? I mean, I'm in this beautiful office here in Manhattan Beach. It's packed to the max with hustling employees. It's an amazing operation to see, but like, how does, how do your operations change going forward if, if they do or,
2: or don't? Obviously having capital business allows you to grow, right? And so we've got a place where we have product market, product market fit. We know what we need to do. Um, but there's a lot of places we need to to grow, we need to add headcount, right? We need to hire engineers. We need to hire real estate analysts. We need to hire salespeople. So, you know, obviously, like, you know, I mean, you, you know, you've been through it. Like, you, you have an idea, you work on it, you get it up to a point where it's like, okay, this thing is working. I'm like, clearly, like, this business works. Now I got to put, add fuel to the fire, right? So we're kind of like, you know, we're not in that stage where it's like, hey, we're just going to crazy, you know, just dump money in and just, you know, like, it's not like this, like we're going to grow, like to just be reckless and grow. But like, look at, we, our business is growing and a business like this where you have lending, you have real estate, there's like a lot of things that you need to do. A lot of dynamics. Just, to, just on kind of, so, you know, it's, it's headcount for the most part and adding headcount to build a scale the business. And then, I mean, the business is so complex that it's like the technology that we're building across all these different pieces of business are that create this operational efficiency and like the data that we're collecting, all these things that we're doing to analyze it. Like, you know, we'll be hiring engineers and data scientists and product managers probably for the next 10 years. Like this is the thing that's like completely iterative. I mean, people, it's funny. Like you talk to some investors and VCs and say, okay, so like, do you need to hire anybody else? It's like, what are you talking about? Like our goal is to transform mortgage finance, you know, for everybody's benefit. Like this we're gonna be building technology and iterating on for the next twenty years, thirty years. So this is like just the start. So it's just great to be a I mean, look at it. We were like super lean the last year, year and a half actually out there in the in the market's been crazy. There's been a lot of turmoil in, in with, you know, lending club and peer to peer. And so we're in this market where things were, you know, if we two years ago people were like raising money and people were throwing money into the space and a lot of you know ideas that may or may have not been so good and here we are building this kind of business very conservatively being very conservative and building it to make sure that we did everything correctly and now we're in a situation where it's, it's like hey it is working this business will work investors love it I mean you guys your guys returns I mean I love the fact that you guys compared us to all your other investments and we outperformed it thank you thank you for that well thank you Yeah. Well, who's to thank <laughs> I'm the thank yeah. you <laughs> to, be honest, to be honest, I thought you'd start with that. It's it. good we finally got around to it. But the, um, no, it's so are the situation now. It's like, hey, we can grow more. And for a business like ours, like growing is important because the more we grow, the more loans we bring on, which means more diversification for investors. It means it lowers risks. It like There's like growth is important in this business. Now for us, from day one, it's all been like the three kind of pillars of business are like, all right, safety for investors, credibility of our platform and scale and so obviously you want to scale as a business but scale is important in this because it actually adds safety to investors right because if the more you scale while maintaining quality we can bring on more loans that lowers risk for investors it allows us yes it allows us to refine our credit model and do these things to like continue to iterate on it and so you know but it's all about how you scale while maintaining quality so you know we're a situation where we we spent two years working out the they're basically the systems, almost rolling systems test. We got to the per- the point where it's like, okay, now we're ready to go. We went and brought on the perfect partner to help us do that. And Andreessen, and now it's like, now it's like, all right, let's sustainably scale to provide more value for our customers. Basically. I love
1: it. So you mentioned like the, the turmoil in the markets in the last couple of years. And I would imagine that that would give you guys a lot of growth because people want to move from an unsecured P2P environment to a secured or more secured P2P environment. I know personally that was my experience because my first and my co-host Johnny, his first peer-to-peer lending experience was through Lending Club and I followed him and it was just this like immediate withdrawal of watching loans go into default. Yeah. And when we found Peer Street and we realized, you know, here it is, it's secured by the property and we started understanding it. It was immediately like light switch went on and was like, okay. I want to do this going forward, right? And I think that, I think that's the model going forward. And I'm wondering with you guys, is it easier to grow in borrowers or lenders? Because I would feel like a lot of people that have experienced peer to peer that are unsecured loans would want to jump on board with this really quick, but maybe there's not the supply to, to meet that demand.
2: Yeah. I mean, look at. In my opinion, and so this is my opinion, and I'm not supposed to give investment advice or anything like that, but-
1: We don't either, by the way, because every time we do, it goes haywire. Yeah,
2: but I mean, like, look at, I mean, like, you identified it, right? It's like, all right, you get similar returns you can on Lending Club and Prosper, secured by real estate, right? It's like, and this is an asset class, this type of loans that we're doing, I've loved it for 30 years. I mean, like- I've always loved this asset class. It's just been impossible for most people to access it, right? So, um, I think it's a, when done correctly and underwritten, like using good underwriting and good standards, it's a great asset class, right? So, yes, we're getting a lot of people that are coming over from other, other markets. Now, I'll caveat that by saying, like, look at you know, what whatever happens going forward, incredibly important and innovative company. Absolutely agree, totally love it. So of course, it's the nature of the asset. There should be more defaults, but like, look at fundamentally, if I can get an eight percent return platform wide on Lending Club, and I get a similar return, actually, you know, to date our returns have actually outperformed Lending Club, but with lower defaults. There's so many. There's so many more value to that. I mean, like. There's tax benefits, having lower default rates. There's all these things to doing it, but you just understand, like, I mean, it's just a fundamentally different asset. And, you know, I think a lot of people out there, you know, we live in this world where, you know, retirees, for instance, baby boomers, like, were promised this. There was a promise years ago. It's like, hey, save your money, you can retire. You know, off your savings and stuff. Well, that's kind of gone, right? There's no yield anywhere. Like there's all these stats showing on that people are like chasing yield and these things that are crazy risky. So the idea of us being able to open up a secure, like a collateralized asset class where people can actually get some yield off it. We think it's like a very, very important thing. So for investors, we think it's definitely great. And by the way, and it's, we have a lot of investment demand. Now, the key is how do you scale? How do you provide more and more loans for the investors to be able to access? And that's, that's, that's the biggest trick to the, to our business. Now, we've got a, we've got a great model that allows us to scale a lot more efficiently. Um, so. You know, but every day it's about working like, okay, how do we, how do we keep delivering high quality returns, great risk adjusted returns to investors? Um, and there's a, lot, there's a lot that goes into it. I mean, you spent the day here. You saw like, you saw kind of how many people we have are working on this stuff. A
1: very, that's a very good feeling Also seeing like your team and how many people are actually working on this from the product side to the underwriting side to everything is, is. You know, a lot of times you see these platforms. Someone out there is investing in a platform, utilizing a platform. You see these platforms and you think it's just a website. Someone could be in their basement operating this thing. And to actually see the people behind it is a very good feeling.
2: Yes, I totally agree. And it's funny, like a a year ago or a year and a half ago, there's something came out and said there's 150 online real estate platforms. You know, and it's like, well, most of those were just companies that put up a website. And the analogy I make is like, or, you know, back in the dot com boom, like, yeah. If you had like a shoe store, you could put up a website to sell your shoes, but eBay was creating some, or Amazon was creating something very, very different. Right. So I think a lot of companies that came, have come up out there in real estate or any sort of alternative lending. It's like, all right, whatever. I got a business. I'll throw up a website and see if it works. So I mean, I'm, I'm glad you yeah, had that you could actually come in to see what we're doing and like kind of some of the guts that are in it. Cause yeah, we're proud of it. And we think we're building something very, very different. And there's other people out there that are doing great stuff. In the space and even real estate online, there's a lot of companies that are doing interesting stuff. I don't think anybody's quite doing what we're doing. Ours is, ours is very different and we think it's, we think it's just better. We're obviously biased. Clearly, I, you know, you're working on I can go with you, that bias. You, you know, you, you don't <laughs> think it's better, but no, we're excited about what we're doing.
1: So I wanted to have a one listener question before we start wrapping up. And that is talking about the loan to value valuation. is, I believe, the maximum that Pierce Street allows on the platform, which gives a 25% equity cushion in between the the total valuation and what the loan agreement is. How is that actually calculated? Is that done through your underwriting team and or
2: some other facility? Yeah, yeah. Uh, great question. And that's like a, that's a very important thing. I mean, like, you know, in real estate, the number one risk factor is the loan to value ratio, right? I mean, that's your, that's the equity cushion. So if you mess up on the value, you know, <laughs> if you're making a, you know, and so people understand, like if I make a $500,000 loan against a seven a million dollar property, my loan to value would be 50, would be 50%, meaning that for me to lose money as a lender, the borrower would have to stop paying on that loan and the value of the property. You know, with costs, especially have to drop by 50%, right? That's a pretty safe place to be. Now, if you're doing a terrible job at identifying what the valuation is and you think you're doing a 50% LTV loan and it's really a 60, uh, 80% LTV or 90%, the risk profile is completely different. So that's a very important piece of it. So, um, you know, we do a lot of things. We run, we run a lot of auto AVMs or automated valuation models, but for every loan that comes through our platform, we actually use a third party. To go out to the property and appraise and value the property, get eyes on it. We use a third party, you know, service that like, so it's not us doing it. So we're not biased. You know, the idea. So is who's like, like a third
1: party? Is like a like banker?
2: A, no, these are, these are, um, you know, we use a few different appraisal management companies or valuation companies, but I think the our number one, the company we use the most is a company called clear capital. They do all the valuation work for Freddie Mac and the regular mortgage industry. So it is they have 30,000 appraisers that are independent out there. They'd have no relationship with who's originating loan. So it's a, it's an independent third party valuation. Now they go out and run their valuation. So we can get that back and say, okay, so we have lenders out there that make the loan. Then the lo- loans come to us. So the lender does their valuation. Then we use this third party to do another valuation. And then we use a bunch of data to basically say, like, Hey, do we think these valuations are accurate? And then we do a lot of other stuff about like, Hey, what's, you know, what's happening in the submarket where these properties are located in? Cause obviously, like, if a market is healthy and rising, that's better than if it's turning over. So there's a ton of stuff we, do. I mean, there's a lot that we do. So we use traditional methods of, like, sending somebody out, getting eyes on the property, doing evaluation, using somebody that has no affiliation to the transaction to make sure that it's, it's arm's length. Then we use data to confirm it and actually add, add layers of, 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 uh, of analysis to it. So, okay, we try to do as much as possible. Now, what I'll say is this, is like, It's still very subjective. Like somebody going out to appraise a property, you know, they have an opinion on things or what's going on. So it's going to be a, it's going to be subjective. So it's important, like when I talked earlier about why scale is important, scale in terms of a risk mitigant to investors. Well, we want people to diversify as broadly as possible, right? So if we can go and put safeguards into, Value properties, underwrite properties, put as many safeguards as possible in place to say like, Hey, we think that we're really good on this valuation. Plus we think like the market where these is still doing well and there's this market isn't dropping and stuff where this property is located to mitigate risk. That's great. Right. So on a loan by loan basis, that's good. But look at you're never, you're never going to get a hundred percent correctly. Right. There's going to be mistakes along the way. It's like, it's a very nuanced thing and it's subjective in a lot of these things. So historically, if you wanted to invest in one of these loans we're providing, you'd have to invest in you'd have to take a very concentrated bet in one loan, or like you know, which reduce increase your risk. So now we're creating this platform where investors can put a thousand dollars in loans and spread their risk a a bunch of bunch. Look, there might be some discrepancies in valuation. Maybe we'll maybe won't get it perfectly every time, and nobody's going to get it perfect. But if now, if I can say like, hey, instead of investing in one loan, now you can invest in a hundred loans or a thousand loans, and you diversify that risk. All right maybe sometimes that appraiser messed up on the valuation he did but the fact that you can spread it more broadly is a huge risk we think is a huge risk mitigate to investors and then there's another thing you know historically if you wanted to invest in these loans you'd have to invest in it or put a lot of money in one loan and wait till it paid off to get your loan back we also do this there's an interesting thing about a platform like ours where you can actually like create these very short term ladders right like bond like basically like a bond ladder but very 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 short term where loans are continually coming on the platform so you can reinvest your money or put break out the money over like a cycle. So now you can diversify, but you can also like smooth out rate, like uh, valuation cycles and different things because you can be reinvesting money on like a monthly basis, basically, which actually creates a risk mitigate too. So what I just wanted like to like echo and underscore is the
1: importance of scale is that instead of, let's say an investor comes to the platform today and they want to invest $20,000. Instead of doing that because only one property is available for investing, Or loaning through and putting all that twenty thousand dollars into one property, they can spread that out across multiple properties. And I think the key to a lot of peer to peer lending is just again, like you said, diversification. Like any type of investment class, diversification is always kind of key to mitigating risk.
2: Yeah, and so you you have a secure, you have an asset that's collateralized by property plus diversification. We think we think it provides a better a better investment vehicle for most investors.
1: I love it. So we're kind of wrapping up the episode and we're in such an amazing place. The sunset, it's dark out. You can't appreciate it when you look out the window of this awesome (laughs) office, but this is, I mean, this is just one cool place in the world and one cool office. And I'm going to share the location of where you guys are at on the episode because you just can't beat it. But I mean, aside from business, like what do you, what do you guys do? What's your lifestyle here? You and Brett and you have you have the beach two blocks away not even a bl- two blocks away a block away i know you live close i so- saw a photo of your view from your house it's amazing i mean what what do you like
2: what do you guys do here in southern california and L.A. Yeah, well, I mean, not, I mean, not surprising. A lot of time in the water. Like, well, we don't really have time for much. But if we if we have time off, we try to get in surf. You know, surf. I mean, you know, our engineers surf. Do you don't have to worry about sharks here. You know, like oh, you know, it's crazy. A couple years ago, there was like huge amount of great whites here. Like, oh, I, we'd go God, out surfing or I, oh. and I stand up paddle. I've got <laughs> I've got a bad hip, so I stand up paddleboard instead of surf a lot it's a little more. But surf. <laughs> yeah. But like literally, like two summers ago, like uh, you'd be on the water and see three or four great whites yeah. out there. No, no, so no. you have sharks here, but they've gotten like this last last year. they they're they're not around as much. I don't know if it's global warming, whatever's happening, but there was a weird period of 3 years where you'd see a lot of sharks. But yeah, we spent a lot of time in the water. I mean, and I I think I'll, you know, the beach is here, great place to run, so I, you know, but we when we were a little smaller, we weren't quite as busy. You know, we do a lot of, you know, board meetings. We go out to surf and like, it was great. We get like, you like actual board meetings. Yeah, like you're out our, on
1: the boards yeah, exactly. and you're talking about business. Exactly. That's well, a, I mean, <laughs>
2: it's kind of like a little t- tongue in cheek, although our, our, you know, we board members do surf with us, but like it was great because, you know, in a business like this, we have real estate people, engineers. We go out there and it's like, you know, our, our VP of finance and our, our CTO <laughs> no our, our engineers, yeah. all these people are out there surfing together in the morning awesome. and come to the office together. So like at so- SoCal, you know, we're close to the beach. We're here because we like the ocean. We like to be outdoors. So there's a there's a lot of that. Um, I mean, I guess you know if you look around the office, you see pictures of surf. There's we got surfboards in the other room. So um, yeah, you know that it's kind of that that SoCal lifestyle.
1: So I have to know. This is a personal question as i'm interested when's my next pay date from Peer street it should be coming up soon it's usually like the first and 15th of the month right because that that could potentially compensate for a meal and drinks afterwards
2: <laughs> yeah i could well you're uh you uh you can you can buy the uh you can buy the beers at shellback when okay. we, or at when we go down there afterwards right. uh no yeah the first and we pay on the first and 15th and you know we get a it's funny we uh we get a lot of investor questions on this mm-hmm. and you know we Servicing of real estate loans is—it's a complex thing. We, you know, we have a lot of things that go on. So, we went to this. Originally, we used to like pay off when we got loans in, right? Like when payments came in. But the borrowers sometimes pay late, sometimes they pay early. So it's just really inconsistent things. So we moved to this first and fifteenth of of the month kind of thing. Um, so yeah, you should be getting a, you should be getting in a few days, Tuesday, Wednesday next week should be your next payment. Oh, it's the twenty seventh. So I
1: think I'll be in San Diego by the <laughs> uh, time I get paid. Yeah, yeah. So I appreciate yeah. this because yeah. I haven't made money in about three or four years. So <laughs> when I get that in, it's like nice. I, I feel productive and <laughs> yeah. and uh, part of the American workforce. I mean,
2: you know I was talking earlier about like the uh, the baby boomers, the retirees that need that that income coming. Well, you're you're not a baby boomer, but you're you're kind of similar. You're pretty much retired, you know. <laughs> you're like live this life, so you you need the income too. So I'm, I'm, look I'm, at, uh, yeah. we're going to do everything we can to give you that Please. payment that payment on the first and fifteenth. I appreciate the month.
1: that. <laughs> uh, I would go to bars and they don't want ID me anymore, and they're like, "Oh, you're a baby boomer. No big deal." <laughs> like I'll, I'll take this hat off and show you this hair buddy <laughs> nice nice man brew this has been a lot of fun uh the whole experience seeing your office your team manhattan beach you, what you guys are doing and and the scale that uh i first see you guys bring in and everything that's happened since episode with brett episode 13 man that goes back to our our infancy and um it's been really exciting to see what you guys have done i'm appreciative as an investor through Pier street like i said we, we've recapped this several times and uh definitely one of my favorite new investments of 2016 and i'm sure 2017
2: stoked you were here glad you glad you came in we love we love when people visit to see what we're doing so i think it tells a lot of story like, like the website like you were saying like you can't see what we're doing until you come in and, and when, when people come in they get a lot more confidence of what we're doing and you are already very confident what we're doing so that so we appreciate the sport uh we're going to continue to work our asses off to deliver like as, as the best risk adjusted returns we can and uh yeah we'll we'll look forward to having you back in a year or six Months or three months or much as, my, here, as, as, as much How as you love it, as, as much as you love it, I might run out my spare bedroom <laughs> to an get a little income coming in myself. So it Thanks, man. We appreciate True, it, man. Yeah.
0: All right, Brew. Man, I'm super envious that you got to hang out in what sounds like the coolest beach office ever, and Brew sounds like such a boss. He sounds like such a cool, down to earth guy.
1: Definitely is. And I was a little overzealous in my affection for the office, but man, it it really reminded me a ton of our office in the environment that we had in the UK back when I had Sky SIG. And honestly, those are some of the best memories of my life. I mean, I love being on the road. We love traveling, doing what we're doing, traveling, but there's just something special when you have a big group of people working hard to build something. And especially in that office, I mean, it wasn't the fanciest office in the world, but just the location and the type of, of energy that was going through there. It was really cool to be part of for a bit.
0: I think you made a good point that LA or Southern California is becoming the next hub for, Kind of the next generation of startups where San Francisco, Mm -hmm. I mean, people like literally complained that one of the reasons they don't want to live in San Francisco, they don't want to work there, create the startup there is they're just hanging out with a bunch of nerds and not in a bad way, but if you know, especially if you're into tech, but as like a single guy, the dating scene there is terrible. It's like, it's like 80% men. Um, and the guy, you know, there's a lot of people that just don't want to live there. They're like, I'd rather live in LA where you know there's these cool parties there's you know the surfing culture there's all these great mm-hmm. things to do but the the startup scene's not there the tech scene's not there or the business scene's not there and now it is so i think that's going to attract a whole new generation of the you know the kind of the snapchat business generation
1: well said and just going through the episode i was reminded of how much is going on there like spacex is there you know just a few miles away like they're building spaceships in downtown LA right there's just a lot of cool things going on and it makes sense you know you got kind of this overflow happening from San Francisco you have a much better weather you have a one-hour flight super breeze to get into in and out of San Francisco and who wouldn't want to live in Southern California I mean of all the places in the world I'm, tr- I'm trying to sit down set down roots because the, the, the path that we've been taking for the last like You know, eight years is getting a little exhausting. And I love being on the road, but Southern California has a lot to offer. So when you bring a mix of good technology, venture capital, smart people, and great weather into the Southern California environment, which it has, and you start, you know, you start developing quite a scene. And and just walking around, there's a lot of buzz to the area right now. There's a a lot of smart people in the area. I went up and down the coast uh, just after to San Diego, kind of checked out a lot of spots and there's just there's a lot going on. So it's it's a cool place to be for a little bit uh before we get back on the road. Well if you do get back on the road, I would advise you to buy
0: some car insurance.
1: (laughs) Dude, who doesn't have car insurance? I guess I don't, you know? And I was talking to the company, I'm like, you guys don't offer car insurance this type of thing? They're like, well pretty much everyone who comes to us and rents a car from us has car insurance. But I, I rented this thing like two and a half months ago and then they say they're they're gonna drop it off. And then they don't have it. Or, or as they're dropping off, they email me. They're like, we're coming to drop off the car. You need to have proof of insurance. I'm like, oh, I don't have proof of insurance uh, because I don't have insurance. So that was my Valentine's present to myself, Johnny. And now now it's just me alone in a in a hotel room. No Ferrari.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what was your point of Ferrari? Like, How many days were, were you going to have it for? It was just 24 hours.
1: I was going to drive it up to Malibu in Santa Barbara and just explore the coast a little bit. I've never driven one. It's just kind of just kind of a cool bucket list thing. I had saw saw this actually advertised. Shout out to um, to Mr. C Beverly Hills where I'm staying amazing hotel. And they actually had set it up. I saw this like three years ago in some article that you could get a Ferrari and in a, in a penthouse suite for a pretty reasonable price. And I emailed them. They're like, no, we don't have that available anymore, but we're willing to put it together for you, giving you a really good deal on it. But it just, it didn't work out in the end, but they're pretty accommodating and got a suite apart, sweet pad here overlooking Hollywood sign, LA downtown, part of Beverly Hills, the mountains in the back are snow capped it looks like big bear so it's just cool it's cool experience for a bit Been been really enjoying uh been about a month here and um yeah it's been great and good to see those guys and and what they're doing man a lot of buzz at that office so johnny what were some of the takeaways that you
0: had from that you know from the interview and and what brew had to say a lot of takeaways but i think kind of just like one of the reasons why i even brought up um the 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 Ferrari thing is I think a lot of people have goals and they think okay Mm. once I've I've made a million dollars then I can go buy a Ferrari and that used to be my goal and I think something that I want to kind of leave the listeners are with is it is never a good investment to buy a Ferrari (laughs) and even if you have the money to buy one like Sam does it's still smarter just to rent it for a day have that experience driving up the California coast you know I guess if you had insurance, uh, and then be able to, you know, take your photos, have your memories and be like, okay, that's off my bucket list. It's done and use that money that you have instead to invest in, in things that actually bring you more money. So, you know, um, sorry that, you know, ended up not happening. Uh, I do have a solution for you that does not require any insurance. And I think you can still have a great Valentine's Day with it. Would you like to hear it? Uh, Yeah. Uh, yes. So it is only. A 45 minute drive from downtown LA. So it's in Southern okay. California. So it's, about yes. a, it's probably like an hour and a half from you and they don't require insurance and you can go and drive your Ferrari as well as Lamborghinis and whatever else you want on a racetrack for the day.
1: Oh my, that sounds amazing.
0: Yeah. I, I did it with the same company in Vegas and it was incredible. Then I found out they have one in, in Southern California, which should be, you know, it should be similar, but it's just easier for you to get to. And the place is called Exotics Racing
1: Exotics Racing, okay. That I mean, honestly, that's really what I wanted to do was just go race around a track. And I want to do that with a motorcycle as well, just for like a day. you know, just do it bucket list type thing. So that's even I think it would be cool riding up the coast to Malibu, Santa Barbara, but it'd be much more fun riding around a racetrack, right?
0: Yeah, oh, you know what? Bad news. It, it doesn't look like it's uh, open on weekdays. <laughs> well, I'll be coming I, back through in about a month, yeah. And, or if you go to Vegas, it's, I think in Vegas it's open every day, but yeah. here it's open like Fridays and weekends or something. So, so
1: as Johnny said, the three F's of money matters. If it flies, floats, or it's a Ferrari, you better rent it.
0: Yeah. Well, I think the last F is something else, but either way, that's <clears throat> above our pay grade for this episode. Um, let's talk about our actual investments with Peer Street and how we feel after this episode. Cause for me personally, I've been putting a lot of money in Peer Street, uh, mm-hmm. and after listening to this episode, and I'm sorry if you guys didn't listen to our advice earlier and, and listen to episode 13 first, because you might be still wondering what Peer Street is. We explained mm-hmm. it all in that episode, so go back and listen to that one. But after listening to to you know your talk with with Brew, I realized okay, you know what? I can really trust this company, not just you know this person as a CEO, but also their vision of the future. And this makes me a lot more comfortable putting more and more money uh, in, of my own investments into Peer Street.
1: Man, you hit it right on the head, basically took the words right out of my mouth. And the first thing that I thought of, because you know, going back to when we started this podcast, and we, we talk a lot about a lot of the mistakes we've made in the past, and a lot of the mistakes we've made in the past, or at least me personally, have been taking advice from someone who didn't have my best, my best interest at heart, or putting money in, say, Bitcoin through Mt. Gox and having it run by people who weren't honest and end up losing a lot of money, right? So when it comes to the technology and, and enabling investing through these modern technology platforms like Peer Street, one of the big hurdles i think that companies have is gaining that trust especially with older generations like say b- baby boomers who are just not used to this they like to go up and shake a hand and and hear someone's voice telling them that you know wise words of wisdom but you know for me to go in there and see what they're doing see the team it's not just a platform it's a team it's not just a product. It's this big team of great people that are building this. And then to see Brew and Brett, and you know, meet them and, and hear more about their background. Uh, I think uh, you know, having that trust, you're putting trust and faith in the platform, but you're also putting trust and faith in the team. Are they going to do what's right? You know, there's a lot of scandals in, in P2P right now. Uh, there's the lending club stuff that, that goes on. You just want to know that, like, whoever's behind the business, the product, the platform. Are good, honest people that have really good intentions and a good vision for the business. So my thoughts, you know, my immediate thoughts on your on your question were exactly, you know, th- your comments were exactly mine.
0: Yeah, and what I actually just did is I logged into my account mainly because I wanted to check uh, where it was so we could talk about it and just talk about actual hard numbers. But then I decided I was like, you know what, I haven't invested, I haven't put money in this for a while, so I just put another ten k in. So now my I'm, I, I'm mm-hmm. actually up. Total investment in Peer Street is fifty thousand dollars, which is aside Shoe from Shoe, my yeah. yeah, and and aside from my uh, my Vanguard index funds, this is my my second biggest investment now.
1: Oh, cool. Well, let's hope it works out. I mean, I think uh, another big takeaway from the episode is just like you have a lot more interest in doing m- more investing through Peer Street. I do too. I think a lot of inve- a lot of people out there are in the same shoes as us. So it's like Bruce said, you know, now the big challenge is bringing scale to this and allowing us to be able to diversify across a lot of different investments so that we don't have to just put our investments into two or three or four properties. We could do it in potentially 20 or 50. Um, So I I think that's cool to hear like that's, you know, that's a challenge for them and to see where they get with it and and how they scale into uh, into those challenges.
0: Well, what sucks is I just, I just logged in to be able to buy some more, you know, invest more property and Mm -hmm. I realized they only have one deal going right now. And I've never Mm -hmm. seen their deal page so empty. Normally there's like, you know, at least five at a time. And I don't know if it's just getting so popular. Maybe it's, you know, with the help of this podcast, but there's only, there's literally only one deal right now. It's a Huntington Beach uh, acquisition. And Mm -hmm. I think the reason why it's, well, it's only 94% funded, which means It'll it'll be funded, you know, within days probably. But I think the only reason why it didn't automatically invest for more people is the interest rate is only seven percent. Which, when you think about it, that's not bad at all. Like getting seven percent back on your money, because what else are you gonna get seven percent back? Especially, you know, with something that is a one year term like this one is, has a seventy percent loan to value ratio, which means this house has at least, you know, it's basically thirty percent equity or thirty percent down in it, and Mm It's you know in in that sense it's pretty safe and it's pretty quick and seven percent is still great but it doesn't automatically kick in for for me probably you or most people listening because we have our you know auto auto funds set at like eight or nine percent
1: mm-hmm. yeah I I reduced my so I started initially at the highest I had it on auto investing and I had it at the very highest interest rate. And then I've just moved it all the way down to the minimum because I'm like, you know, trying to squeeze out an extra one or 2%. I'd rather just have all of my money vested as much as possible. So especially so I don't have to worry about it. So I have to log in and try to manually pick it because that just ends up taking time. So I've, I've reduced basically the threshold of all of my investments just to, just to get, to keep the money invested. Uh, and right now all of my money is invested. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I have noticed a few times that I've been logging in maybe over the last few months is that when a property comes onto the site, it's getting it's getting invested really, really quick, and I think that is just a sign of a lot more investor interest and you know like you said, the challenge was scaling, but make you know'm I'm, sh- I'm sure they could scale really quick with properties, but they have to make sure that those properties are well vetted and qualified to be on the platform
0: and to be honest, even though on the selfish side, I would like them to have more deals for me. I'm very happy that they're taking their time and they're, you know, and they are vetting it properly because that mm-hmm. would be the worst thing world. I think if it was a different company and it was run by people who, you know, weren't as, you know, forward thinking, uh or big picture thinking as as genuine. They might be like, "Oh, let's just get as many deals on on here as po- possible because the more deals we have, the more money we make." But it really seems, you know, especially after this that that interview that they really have a good head on their shoulders and they're like, "You know, we got to do this right."
1: Yeah, definitely. I want to talk about a couple other takeaways and get get your thoughts on a few things, Johnny, Uh, before we go into more just general like business stuff. One cool thing that he mentioned at the end that I didn't even pick up on until I re listened to the episode was that one cool thing about especially having some of these the durations of these uh, these uh, loans be shorter term. It kind of, in a sense, like a ladder, right? And that means like you always have money kind of coming due. So if you invest in let's just say you invest in one year long durations and you invest in a couple properties this month, a couple next month, a couple next month and so on and so forth, that means like in time you eventually have money coming due every single month, right? So it takes like it takes some liquidity risk off the table and that's actually the the advice that I got like right when I started investing more money and I put money into annuities, that was the first advice I got from actually Stan, the annuity man who was on episode four. He's like, the best way to do this is ladder em. So you do like a two year investment, a three year investment, a four year, five, so that every single year you have money coming due. And I've noticed that with Peer Street now, because I've been investing in it for about seven or eight months. Now, almost every single month I have money coming due. So if I want to get money out of it, it's it's always coming due, or if I want to, you know, reinvest it, it's always coming due. So I, I thought that was kind of cool. It's not something I, I thought about when I was investing initially, but it is it is kind of a, a a nice benefit as part of having some of these shorter term uh,
0: loans. Yeah, I'm actually just taking a look at my active loan positions right now, and what I'll do is I'll I'll, I'll actually screenshot this and share it in probably the email list or in um uh, on the show notes of this episode, and that way mm-hmm. you guys can see what it looks like on the back end. But my first investment was. September 3rd, 2016. And it looks like it matures in, in a, in a few weeks. So it looks like it was a six month investment, which is pretty short. Um, and then my next one matures in April, then in June, then July, mm-hmm. then August, September, October. So yeah. Uh, wow. Accidentally. That's, that's exactly accidentally, right? Isn't that cool? Yeah. <laughs> and I think, yeah. And I think it was because I didn't put all my money in at once in the beginning I was still a bit hesitant you know especially cuz I felt a little bit burned with lending club and other kind of peer to peer places mm-hmm. so I just started putting a little bit in it's like okay I'll put a $1000 you know in this one and then I was really like hand selecting the ones I want to I want to put money in and I you know would you know get one a month or maybe two a month and it wasn't until I think pretty recent I think it was in like you know the last couple of months I was like ah you know let me just turn on the auto invest and just uh you know, and not look at it at all uh, mm-hmm. versus before I was still kind of like happy. Getting. Cause what's cool is even if the auto invest on you get a notification when it buys something and you have 24 hours to go back in and say, nah, I don't actually want that. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's
1: cool. That's definitely a good feature. And speaking of getting burned, man, I got a, I got a, my monthly statement from lending club in and I had 450, I think $450 in interest this month, which is actually around. Like eight, nine percent of what I have invested. Mm-hmm. But that was just the, in, in the statement, it only showed the interest earnings that I had that month. And then I clicked in and I looked in, I had $342 charged off that month. So I had $450 of income, $342 charged off that month. Yeah.
0: So that, that'll I was show like, you that.
1: Oh my gosh. It, like, it just felt like so stunned. I'm like, what if that happens every single month? You know, you almost, I don't know what my returns will be, but I still have most of the, the loans are still two years out to, you know, becoming mature. So I'm getting a little nervous.
0: Yeah. Uh, we'll, see, we'll see what happens because we still have a lot of time in there. And every time I log in, my net adjusted net annualized return uh, it uh, keeps going lower. So it percentage, so it used to be at like 7% or something, 7.5. And then mm-hmm. now it's at four point one six, and I have a feeling that's going to keep going down. So I'm locked in with Lending Club for a few more years. Um Luckily, I, I'm very happy with this. I only put five grand in, and <laughs> unless like a pitch, a pitch shot,
2: yeah, pitch but, shot. I,
0: I, <laughs> but at that time that was like all my money. You know, mm-hmm. I, like I think this, you know, I started investing in Lending Club what more, like four years ago or something, and at that time I was like I barely had any money. Um and now with I'm I'm glad I did it because it opened me up to this whole world. Now I understand it. Now mm-hmm. it's kind of a case study, and now I'm much more comfortable putting more money in something like Peer Street.
1: Yeah, gotcha. I wanted to get your thoughts on what i thought it was really cool the story of when they got when they went in and pitched uh well i don't know if it was a pitch but they went in and had to talk with interest horowitz and Bruce, like there's 25 people sitting around and when i was interviewing you Bre- you could just sit there and see in his eyes like that was a pretty intimidating experience but have you ever been in any meetings like that where it's just like boom in your face and you're kind of under the microscope
0: uh you know what i i'm pretty lucky that my kind of corporate a stint, I was, I was never in charge of something like that. I think nowadays, to be honest, as long as I knew what I was talking about, I knew I had a good product. It wouldn't actually phase me. I think, mm-hmm. you know, even like public speaking, I just had the Nomad Summit and it was like, you know, close to 400 people in the audience. And, but because I knew I had prepared for you know, for my talk, I knew I had to create value and I knew what I was talking about, mm-hmm. then there's no nerves at all. I think you only get nervous if you're like kind of unsure or you're not, you're not well prepared.
1: Yeah, congratulations on that, by the way. It looked awesome. I, I know I was there with you last year. It was about two, a little over 200 people. But man, it looked super professional this year. A lot of smart people there. So are you going to do it next year again or what's the deal? Yep.
0: So 2018 yeah. Nomad Summit is going to be probably mid-January. It probably in checking check my time yeah. again. So if people want to kind of get together with the, the digital nomad scene, which I don't know how many of you guys listen to this podcast or into, but mm. you can check out the website. It's nomadsummit.com.
1: Yeah. So any, of uh, anyone listening out there, pretty inspirational story hearing about them going in and, and speaking of interest in horror was, I know that was super interesting to me. Just to see how that, that all transpired and took place. And, and also the, the supporting role that the VC takes in the growth of their company. You know, when you talk about managing that type of influx of capital, uh, you know, that's, that's a lot different than, than most startups have ever had the experience of dealing with. I know, you know, with our old company, we never even raised money, uh, but we took we took some lines of credit, and you know, even managing that sum of money, which was much much less significant than what they've just been they've just you know uh, been backed with, it's a lot to manage. So it's pretty cool hearing that experience and hearing you know how they're planning on scaling, and um, we definitely wish them the best of luck. Yep,
0: yeah, me as well. So uh, I think all in all, very happy with my investments in Pierce Street. If you guys want to check them out. You can use our link at investlikeaboss.com slash pure street and you can get a 1% yield bump on your first mm-hmm. investment. So you get an extra 1%, which is pretty cool. Uh, and if you guys want to follow along on our journeys, uh, if you look at the show notes of episode 41 and investlikeaboss.com, I'll have a screenshot of all my investments with them. So you can kind of follow along and see, you know, how I'm doing and. You know, just to just to put it out there to everyone, you know, including Brew, if you're listening to this, uh, if, if it goes up, if it goes down, you guys won't know about it. So, you know, if you as long as you guys keep rocking it and keep running the company fantastically, like you guys have been, you know, it's gonna be you know praise and happiness. But if you guys start dropping the ball like Lending Club, you're gonna be under the fire <laughs> just as much. So, that's encur- you know encouragement for them to just continue doing what they're doing.
1: Yeah, definitely. And guys, uh, before we get into reviews, just have one quick announcement. We talked a little bit about uh, the, we're involved with the charity out in Southeast Asia called Child's Dream. They do a lot of amazing things, but one of the things that we're particularly uh enjoying being part of is building playgrounds out there. So right now it's going to be in Cambodia. So I'm actually going to host an Ireland walk. I'm going to see if I can drag Johnny along for it. He still hasn't given me a full commitment yet, but I'm sure I can uh, tickle him into it. So we got dates for it now. It's going to be May 22nd. It's going to be for about five weeks. We're walking across the green monster called Ireland, uh, and the goal is basically just to raise awareness and build as many playgrounds as we can. They're three grand a piece. Um, so if you want to come out, help support, help ways, raise awareness, we'll be uh, we'll be raising a little bit of money for that, and then we'll be installing the playgrounds out in Cambodia in February. If you want to take part in that as well, just shoot us an email, and uh, we'll be happy to share details.
0: Very cool. I definitely would not be walking across Ireland with you, but... I will commit to coming to Cambodia and helping build it. And and, and I'll also donate a bit uh, to help fund it as well.
1: That's even more important, buddy. Appreciate it. Okay.
0: So uh, that is it. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. And thank you guys so much for leaving all these amazing five-star reviews of this podcast. The, you guys are the reason why we continue to get these big-name CEOs on and be able to really just dive in deep and and ask, ask all the questions and get to know their personalities like we really uh. You know wish we had access to um, i mean mm-hmm. if we can get the the ceo of lending club on we'd be happy to to pick his brain because i'm sure you know that there's gonna be pros and cons of what's happening and there's gonna be his side of it as well that like we're unaware of so mm-hmm. the more reviews we can get the more clout we're gonna have the more listeners we're gonna have and the, the better chances we're gonna have of getting these big name ceos on the show so who do we have for this week sam
1: so this week we have Rocksteady and B Bob from the United States, five star review, a diamond in the rough. The combination of knowledge, humor, unique guests, and exuberance Johnny and Sam display so exhilarating and refreshing. Sure, everyone wants to be rich and loves the idea of making money, but that's not what this podcast is about. The duo's genuine desire to ignite a flame inside you to find financial independence by making smart decisions through palpable avenues discussed in each episode is one of the most important elements. Thanks, guys. Looking forward to more episodes. Good uh, vocabulary there. I picked up a few new words.
0: Yeah, definitely uh, much smarter <laughs> than I. <laughs> uh, and congrats again to this month's winner of the $25 Amazon gift card, Loy Capistrano. Uh, you have received your gift card in the mail now. And if anyone wants to enter to win, we give away a gift card every single month. And all you have to do is take a screenshot of your review and send it in to info at investlikeaboss.com. Thank you guys for listening and I will see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Best Like of Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at bestlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode,
1: please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.